Blog Talk Radio. Dalle vicende della vita e che Roma abbia detto la sua parola. We cannot continue to rely only on our military in order to achieve the national security objectives that we've set. We've got to have a civilian national security force that's just as powerful, just as strong, just as well funded. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits. And guess what this liberal would be all about? This liberal will be all about socializing, uh, um, would be about basically taking over and the government running all of your companies. Uh, to that extent, as radical as I think people try to characterize the Warren Court, uh, it wasn't that radical. It, it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the Founding Fathers in the Constitution. In one of the, uh, I think, uh, the tragedies of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, I think that there was a tendency to lose track of the political and community organizing and, and activities on the ground that are able to put together the actual coalitions of power through which you bring about redistributive uh, change. They've got a chance of success too. I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. Uh, you know, we, we become responsible then for administrating you know, 250 million people. I ask, well, what is going to happen to those people that we can't re-educate, that are die-hard cap capitalists? And the reply was that they'd have to be eliminated. And when I pursued this further, they estimated that they would have to eliminate 25 million people in these re-education centers. And when I say eliminate, I mean kill 25 million people. I want you to imagine sitting in a room with 25 people, most of which have graduate degrees from Columbia and other well-known educational centers, and hear them figuring out the logistics for the elimination of 25 million people. And they were dead serious. Robert Jones situation report, and no, your ears aren't uh, uh, causing you to hear things. This You are not listening to the mellifluous tones of C. Robert Jones. You are listening to the rather discordant, harsh, and strident voice of Sarge, who is, in fact, substituting for the Honorable Dr. C. Robert Jones whilst he is vacationing and enjoying himself. And leaving the hard work of running the C. Robert Jones Situation Report to low-life enlisted swine grunts like me. And I have taken this task with uh, good cheer and with good heart and with every intention to do the very best I can to reflect honor and, um, and integrity upon this show. Because Doc Robert Jones does an excellent job of doing exactly that every night. Um, uh, and if you don't know who Dr. Jones is, Dr. Jones is a doctor because he has a doctorate in history from, amongst other institutions, the esteemed William and Mary College, um, uh, which is one of the finer colleges in the United States. 
He is a historian par excellence, and above all, a conservative. And on top of that, not only a conservative, uh, unreserved, unabashed, full-fledged, full-on, all-out, a big bore conservative. I don't mean boring in the sense that he is an uh, interesting listener. I mean big bore in the sense of like major caliber, as in rifles. But he's also a former Marine, and not just a Marine, a commissioned Marine officer. So you know this guy is the real deal. He's the full-fledged on board. And he's even willing to trust his show to an Army doggy enlisted swine like me, which I think is simply incredible. But, hey, that's what Doc Jones is. That's the kind of guy Doc is. Remember, I'm only temporary. I'm only going to be here through this week uh, doing what Doc does, and he'll be back next week to be able to listen to him. But in the meantime, you listen to my rants, and boy, is this something to rant about today. And what we got to rant about today is the uh, – uh, it's an issue that I have watched with, with great fascination. Sort of like, you know, when you watch a, um, a, a boa constrictor eating up prey, you watch how it slowly approaches its pay, prey with its tongue flicking out, and then as it gets up to – the little rabbit or the hamster or the guinea pig or whatever it is they're feeding or the rodent or whatever type they're feeding it. And it just reaches out with lightning speed and just wraps itself around its prey, crushes it. And then you watch as its jaws distort and come apart and completely envelop its prey and swallow it whole. And, you know, I kind of got that feeling as I watched the homosexual activist agenda proceed and it's really been going really uh, like at warp speed, like in Star Trek, ever since the Supreme Court's decision of Lawrence versus Texas, I believe in 1994. Let me look that up again to exactly what the date was. But what was interesting more so than just the date uh, of uh, uh, Lawrence versus Texas was – the fact that it completely reversed a prior Supreme Court decision, which occurred just in 1986, Bowers versus Hardwick, in which the Supreme Court upheld the right of individual states to create sodomy laws. Well, in Lawrence versus Texas, they completely reversed that starry decisis in less than a decade and said that prior Supreme Court ruling in 1986 was no longer valid. Uh, uh, with with Lawrence versus Texas, that is really unusual. But you know, it, be it far from me to examine the motivations behind the Supreme Court in 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 ruling as they did. I can only say that that's exactly what they did. That is exactly the kind of ruling that they that they made and that they turned out. Uh, uh, they completely reversed themselves in that decision, and ever since then. The homosexual activist agenda has been going crazy, dare I say it, in uh, you know which is you know and driving the homosexual activist agenda is really uh, a short trip. I mean, you ain't got to drive, go far to drive them crazy. I mean, you know, I mean, I remember once upon a time, about, uh in the 80s when they were actually going into uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in New York and have well at least the more radical members. And they were having sexual activity, homosexual activity of various sorts on the altar. They broke into St. Patrick's Cathedral and had homosexual activity on the altar to express their opinion of the Catholic churches. And that's what they said. They were doing it to express their disapproval of the Catholic church's teaching on abortion. Imagine that. Imagine the Catholic church, act, I mean not abortion, but homosexual uh, uh, sodomite activities. Now imagine that for a minute. The Catholic Church actually has religious doctrine in the form of, of uh, 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 papal bulls and encyclicals and magisterial comments to, to, from the Pope, from the Vatican at that time, about homosexual activity being sinful and against the word of God. Imagine Catholics saying such a thing. It's just incredible. But that's what they did, and the homosexual activists were really out, put out by that. They really were. Flash forward to today. Now, remember, what I am speaking of here, as, and I want you to keep it in mind, as I speak of what I say, what when I say what I say, I am speaking of the homosexual activist agenda. 
the people in the leadership of that uh, uh, particular movement. I am not speaking of every homosexual. So let's understand it before we go another further. I am not, because many homosexuals, uh, and I know them because I've spoken to many of them, I've debated with many of them over the years, they do not necessarily prove the homosexual activist agenda. I mean, I'm a black man, and, uh, you know, and uh, believe me, I am authentically black, despite what a lot of people would say about me, that I'm a coon and a tom and so forth, because I don't go along with the uh, uh, agenda of the racial industrial complex. I do not. I oppose it absolutely, irresolutely, and wholeheartedly, resolutely rather, and wholeheartedly. I am utterly opposed to it. It is Marxist. It is cultural Marxist. It is racialist. It is often Nazi-like in many of the things it says. It is counter to the major institutions of this country, and I completely oppose it. Well, there are many homosexuals who do not side with the homosexual activist agenda either. So when I speak of what I'm speaking of for the duration of this program, keep in mind I am not, repeat, not, repeat, not speaking of all homosexuals. I'm speaking of the homosexual activist agenda, and particularly those in that agenda that are opposed to matters like the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that is currently embattled in the state of Indiana, and Mike Pence having to hunker down and deal with the consequences of uh, 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 that particular uh, siege that the state of Indiana is going on. Now, before we go any further, we need to note that the federal government has a form of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and so do 19 other states which have similar language to Indiana. But Indiana is being singled out. Now, why is Indiana being singled out? Well, I suspect it's because it's somewhat of a northern, midwestern state. And that we all know that northern, midwestern states are supposed to be blue in the sense that they are Democrat states, in the sense that Democrats are liberals, in the sense that liberals are progressives, and progressives are all in for the homosexual activist agenda. And that homosexual activist agenda uh, espouses the notion that homosexuality as a lifestyle, as a reality, has a biological, dare I say it, construct, is every bit the equal of heterosexuality and should be seen as normative and normal, in fact, even desirable, in fact, even something to aspire to. Now, I know, I know that many homosexuals do not agree with that point of view. So again, I am not, 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 not speaking of all homosexuals. I'm speaking of the homosexual activist agenda, which to me is akin to the folks in the racial industrial complex that I, as a black man, oppose. So let's get that clear. Now, with that in mind, let's talk about how this has all come to be. Because it's really quite astonishing. It really is. I mean, um, as you look at, at, at the genesis of, of where we are today, I mean, you know, I, I, I think it does um, um, uh, go a way to furthering our understanding to speak of the whole homosexual movement. And I'm speaking of, again, the activist agenda, uh, uh, the homosexual activist agenda. And they are attempting to frame it. With a good deal of success, I might add. I mean, let's give them credit where their credit is due. They are, they are attempting to frame it as a civil rights issue, uh, a civil rights issue. Uh, and, and they are, in fact, trying to glom onto the fumes of Selma, Alabama. And, and, key, and key to accomplishing this now, uh, and this is very key, uh, is, is, and I'm telling you, look. Well, one thing we got to understand about liberals and progressives and radicals of all stripes, uh, and it's not just the homosexual activists, gender. They're everywhere in the United States society. There is no end to them. They are everywhere in everything at all times. I mean, there is no. I mean, there is no major uh, social issue you can speak of today in which there is not, at some level, either massively involved or peripherally involved liberal, progressives. And radicals of every type. I call it. I I I I bring it under the general umbrella: cultural Marxist agenda. Now, what is cultural Marxism? You might ask. Well, cultural Marxism is essentially Marxism, classical economic Marxism, translated into cultural terms. Now, let me say, sorry, tonight. Come on, now that, that's not let's not go too far afield with this. 
We know Marxism is Marxism and culture is culture, and never the twain shall meet. Marxism was espoused by Karl Marx in the middle of the 19th century as an answer to market capitalism of all sorts, free market capitalism, regulated capitalism, and it posited the notion that eventually um, all means of production, all means of ownership of property, all means of distribution of resources of all sorts would eventually be under the control of the people and the workers to be a dictatorship of the proletariat. That's essentially what Marxism boils down. Now, I'm not talking about communism. I'm talking about classical Marxism. Now, I'm oversimplifying it, but, I mean, we can't spend all day here. I only got an hour, less than an hour now. I can spend the whole time talking about Marxism. I will in another show if I ever get around to it and Doc lets me talk about it. But right now I want to talk about cultural Marxism, which, again, is economic Marxism translating to culture terms. Now, what does Marxism do? Or communism, if you will. Communism, actually, because communism actually is a political expression of Marxism. But in Marxism, uh, uh, one of the things that is espoused is expropriation. Now, when something is expropriated, what it means is is that um, uh, that which rightfully belongs to one person, or which at least formerly belonged to one entity, group of people, or bunch of individuals – what once belonged to that entity now belongs or is taken from that individual, that entity, that organization, or that group, or that cultural institution, whatever have you, and it is transferred to those to either whom it does not belong or to whom the Marxists who are now in power think it should belong. And one of those things, of course, uh, uh, prior to maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, because even 30 years ago, the idea of homosexual marriage was utterly insane to most people. Said, Nobody wants homosexual marriage. Are you crazy? I mean, everybody knows that makes no sense. The institution of marriage did not come into being to allow for homosexuals. I mean, it's simply a syllogistical, logical, nonsensical uh, notion. It's simply absurd on its face. Now, this is 30 years ago. The overwhelming majority of people would have said this to you if you brought up the notion of homosexual marriage. They'd have looked like you were insane, which in fact would have been a way to, pretty good way to look at you. Because logically, I'm not even speaking religiously. Remember, because I want you folks to know this. It may surprise you <clears throat> to hear this from me, but uh, I am in fact an agnostic. I definitely have strong agnostic tendencies. I mean, I simply have questions about the divine nature of God and the relationship of man to religion and the divine nature of God. I just don't know. I'm just not sure. Having said that, notwithstanding that, the, relig the basis of American liberty, as the founding fathers saw it, let me say this again, the basis of American liberty, as the founding fathers saw it, was a belief in the divine, a belief in the creator God, and all of our all of our inalienable rights, without exception, all of them stem from God. That's why no man can take them away, because nobody can reach God. Nobody can subvert God. I'm speaking in principle here. I'm speaking in principle. No one. And if man gives you your rights, then that means somebody can just overthrow the man and he can take away your rights. But if you get them from God, they're untouchable. They are, in fact, inalienable. That was the point. That was the point behind saying that um, uh, our rights come from a creator. God. Remember now, folks, you are listening to this from an agnostic, an agnostic. But I acknowledge that truth. And for purposes of understanding our rights and the Constitution, I completely accept the notion that our rights come from God. And the basis of American liberty our American, uh, the roots of American liberty are in fact religious. Now, let's kind of relate this to the homosexual activist agenda. Remember, the purpose of cultural Marxism is to translate economic Marxism into cultural terms. And um, what we are witnessing everywhere, and it's not just with the homosexual activist agenda, it's like with homosexual marriage and um, or homosexual as a protected class under the Civil Rights Act or with the new Civil Rights Act or whatever, 
Uh, it's in many things. Cultural Marxism assumes many forms. Uh, 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 Reparations for slavery is an example of cultural Marxism. Uh, affirmative action and racial preferences is affirmative action. That's another form of cultural Marxism. Um, uh, much of the feminist, radical feminist agenda uh, embodies a great deal of cultural Marxism. It's everywhere. But we're going to confine our discussion, uh, our discussion tonight pretty much to uh, homosexual activism. And I know the title uh, also involves... Um, you know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and we're going to kind of touch on it. I really want to go more into how we got here, where people are actually embattled, embattled, mind you, for daring to suggest that the First Amendment to the United States has within it the, uh, 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 the notion that someone can object to a particular activity on the basis of their religious beliefs and not be forced to participate in it. Say, for instance, if you're a wedding cake manufacturer and a homosexual couple comes in and says, hey, I want you to put two dudes in tuxedos and top hats on the cake, hugging each other, holding their hands, and one of them's putting a ring on the other one's finger. And this is what you better do, and if you don't do it, I'm going to the government to make you do it. And the person says, well, uh, I would like to, sir, but uh, you know this is against my religious beliefs, and I don't think I wish to comply with your request. Well, um, uh, the reason the people are really opposing the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is because they don't want storekeepers, shopkeepers, and the like, people who make T-shirts to make people to make the T-shirt saying, uh, "The rainbow is beautiful." Homosexual homosexuality is one of God's uh, uh, ordained um, uh, behaviors. Uh, before man and to be respected by everyone, regardless of any other opinions. Now, I, I, now a person who makes a T-shirt might not want to do that, but, 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 but. Homosexuality says, oh, no, we, are going, we have a secular government here. And since we have a secular government, your religious beliefs can be subsumed and set aside. And you don't have the right to say that you can uh, not participate in what we think you ought to participate in. See? That's the way it works. This is cultural Marxism. They're going to expropriate from you your right not to do certain things. Because remember, the Constitution has not been amended to allow for utter non-discrimination against homosexuals, like race. is is is, is In the 14th Amendment, uh, it specifically says that uh, every citizen, there's no right that a citizen within the state has or privilege has uh, that another citizen in the state doesn't have. But but a little bit of an aside here. Uh, this this is where the homosexual activists lie, and they do lie. They they do lie, and if they're not lying, they obfuscate. They obfuscate, and they attempt to deny the truth. The truth is, every single homosexual in the United States of the appropriate age, uh, who is not married in any other jurisdiction in the world to any other person, to uh, of a member who is not a member of their immediate family, either by law or by blood, is the appropriate age. Every single homosexual in the United States who meets those criteria, without exception, every single one has the right to marry, exactly as I do. Who is a, and by the way, I am an utter, complete, total, no doubt about it, but sure enough, can't be nothing else heterosexual. That's what I am. That's what I will always be. That's what I'm going to die as, heterosexual. But they have exactly the same right to marry that I do. they got to marry someone of the opposite sex. Now, many of these people do not want to do that. They're saying, no, that doesn't mean I have the right to marry someone that you do. What you need to do is to transform the laws of marriage within the states. Actually, what they want to do is have it, really, they want to have it created by federal edict. They'd like to have a federal edict come down and say every state, and form, I guess, Supreme Court ruling probably would do it for them. They want every single state to create rules for homosexual marriage, which means homosexual, in other words, to fundamentally transform the definition that the various states have adopted. And I believe, by the way, 38 states have some form of homosexual marriage now. For all practical purposes, it's practically a, a given now. Each state has decided on it, not on its own through the legislative process, I might add, 
but through edicts from judges, either federal or state. But nonetheless, it's being done at a state level. So essentially it's being done. But remember, all this came about in the wake of the Lawrence versus Texas decision that essentially negated the rights of the states to create laws on sodomy, create laws on sodomy anymore. And of course, sodomy is not just homosexual. It's also heterosexual. There is such thing as heterosexual sodomy as well. But we all know what this was really aimed at. It was really aimed at homosexual sodomy. And by the way, um, I, I, I'm pretty much, um, as a as a as a matter of principle, being uh, 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 I do have some libertarian uh, uh, instincts. I believe that sodomy law should not essentially should not exist. But I do believe it is within the constitutional purview, under the ninth and tenth amendments of the United States Constitution. For each state to decide whether or not they will have sodomy laws. I mean, the Fifth Amendment is pretty clear. These are things that are left to the purview of the states. But nonetheless, we got a Supreme Court, as they did in Roe versus Wade, telling us that no, states don't have the right to uh, enact sodomy laws. Well, anyway, that helped us to get where we are now. That's why we are in the position where we are now. Where now, Thanks to the complete domination of the news media and Hollywood, television, and particularly academia, and just about every major institution you see, the homosexual agenda is cruising big time, it's cruising large. You cannot find a movie or a long-term television series today that does not incorporate a homosexual character. And by the way, homosexuality, by the way, is a part of life. It does need to be examined in drama. There's nothing wrong with examining homosexuality because it is part of the human condition and it deserves uh, intelligent uh, uh, analysis and rational uh, uh, depiction in dramas and books and plays and everything else. I have no problem with that. In fact, I think it's good to have good drama that incorporates that thing. But what we're not, that's not what we're seeing in too many cases. Sometimes it's good, but it also comes with a cheerleading agenda. They are cheerleading for it, and it's patently obvious. They are saying it is normal, it is normative, and if you oppose it in any way, form, shape, or fashion, you are a bigot who is not worthy of inclusion in a civil society. That's essentially what they say. I would like you to carefully examine what is going on with the homosexual agenda. I don't know how you can come to a conclusion reasonably. I know I can't. Now, um, again, I am. I have libertarian instincts, although much of libertarianism does trouble me. I could never become a libertarian again, although it was a waste stop for me on the way to becoming a Declaration of Independence constitutional conservative. But I can never go back to being libertarian because libertarians do not hold the protection of innocent life as a life has a supreme value. They see the uh, instinct to will, to power being of greater importance than the state protecting innocent life. So I cannot go back to being a mainstream libertarian. I just can't. And on the homosexual activist agenda, too many libertarians are willing to concede the point that uh, simply a matter of uh, letting all the state leave me alone. and I do Not a matter of the Constitution saying what the people should be allowed to do within their states. And by the way, if the people want to have homosexual marriage in their states and is determined through uh, 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 applying to their legislators to change the law and or doing it through referendum or plebiscite, then boom, fine. I just move the hell out of that state and come someplace like Georgia when they ain't got that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not staying in that state. Let them have it in that state. But if that's what they want, that's what I like about having 50 states. That we all ain't alike. And that's why people like Barack Obama and the Democrats and progressives and liberals want us all to be uniform. They want a uniform set of everything across the state. And believe me, that uniformity is going to be skewed toward progressivism, liberalism, and yes, the homosexual activist agenda. I don't think, I don't, look, have you guys seen what's going on? I, I will say it again. 20, 30 years ago, the notion of homosexual marriage was not just uh, uh, something that no one would consider. It was something that was patently absurd. You should have heard Bill Clinton as he defended the act at the federal level. He sounded like a conservative compared to today. He sounded 
like a conservative. He was talking about how important that um, uh, when he signed the act at the federal level, he was talking about how important it was to maintain the, our first uh, uh, constitutional right in the Bill of Rights, the, 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 uh, the right to freely practice your religion without government interference. Interference, by the way, the First Amendment through Supreme Court ruling has been incorporated to apply to the states. So the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is essentially no more than a restatement of constitutional principle. That's really all it really is, but that's not good enough for the homosexual activist agenda, and it never will be good enough for the homosexual activist agenda. They are going to tell us how we must think. They're going to tell us how we must behave. They're going to dictate to us what we must do. And if you don't, at this point, what they're trying to do is shame us, see? And what they do is they make asides to one of the, one of the, uh, 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 um, oof, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? One of the um, uh, impediments to correcting one of the greatest sins in this country's history, its original sin, that of slavery and codified discrimination for much of this country's life. I'm talking about from its founding, when it allowed, when the Constitution, by the way, did not require slavery, it allowed for it in the states where it was decided to be, through the a war between the states, through the post-war reconstruction period with Jim Crow and all of that, through uh, the uh, civil rights era, which really roughly stems from probably about 1955 through 1969, but, you know, you can shade it, you know, depending on how you want to interpret it, through 1970, when pretty much all of the legal battles had been won. What the homosexual activist agenda is trying to do, what they're trying to do, is to glom onto that glorious heritage. And I, and I do think, despite the fact that the civil rights movement was tinged and was influenced by communists, socialists, and Marxists. In, in its inception, particularly its Martin Luther King years, it had its kind of nobility and dignity that was patently obvious to anyone who, who examined it. And that's one of the things that helped it to succeed. What we're looking at today now is a, a movement that is run by hooligans. I mean, no way to put it. They're like brown-shirted hooligans. I mean, they're, they're, in that respect, they are very Nazi-esque and very red-shirt front fascist-type people. I mean, they don't have much in a way of dignity anymore. They're more like those people who went to St. Patrick's Cathedral and had sexual activities. And I don't know how you really can call homosexuality sexual, because sexual, look, look at the word, the root. Look at the etymology of sex. Sex means you have to have two distinct sexes with two different chromosomes working. That's what enables sexual reproduction, you know, distinctive chromosomal activity going on, which cannot exist in homosexual activity. But purpose of the discussion we're going to say that homosexuals have some kind of sex. Anyway, whatever they do, the obscene things they were doing, the obscene things that they do, um, 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 it, 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 it is what they want to tell us that we have to accept as normal. Now, now, folks, I, I'm gonna tell you, folks. I, I you know, like last night. Now, I don't know if any of y'all were here with me last night with little land night, but look, I need some talking off the ledge. And I do. Now, I know I haven't spoken too much to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And I really, and you know, I, I may do that. I may go into specifics of this act, in, and maybe in the next show, maybe tomorrow or the day after, I don't know. But I, I really need, we really need to examine this whole movement. Now, like I said, I rarely see a movement that has achieved such light speed, quote, progress, unquote, as I've seen the homosexual activist agenda. I've never seen it. It's just a Astounding the manner in which it is proceeded. And and, 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 and and to a large extent, conservatives are actually on the back heels. They got us on the back heels. And I'll tell you why. Because no one can defend or come against this sort of thing in principle. You find very few conservatives able to articulate a principled defense of traditional marriage and heterosexuality. They can't do it. They're so wrapped up in this notion of, oh, that discrimination per se, objectively, is inherently evil and needs to be countered. As though none of us have the right to discriminate. We all do. In fact, it is essential for our well-being, for the health of our families, 
for their very safety. It is essential to discriminate. You must discriminate. For instance, if you see a guy at 2 o'clock at night, say he's wearing all black clothes, and he's prowling around your house in the back, and he's got a crowbar in his hand, and he's looking around to and fro, and when a police car passes, he runs and hides under a dumpster. You, if you got a damn bit of sense whatsoever, you got one tiny iota of common sense. If your left brain is working at all, you better discriminate against that sucker and not let him in your house if he knocks on the door. Of course, he probably won't knock on the door. What the guy's going to do is take the crowbar and try to bust in your house. But if he knocks on your door, you better not let him in. In fact, you probably be wise to really discriminate this guy and call the cops. <laughs> so, once again, discrimination is not bad. Discrimination is good, provided it is rational discrimination. And to discriminate against the notion of homosexual marriage is simply to maintain logic and syllogistic reason. Give you an example. Marriage arose initially. The reason it came into being was in, to deal with the products of procreation from a societal standpoint. That's the reason it came into existence. Without procreation, without the possibility of procreation, in principle, note what I'm saying, in principle, if not in fact, there is no need for marriage because procreation is not possible. I mean, I mean, if procreation is not possible, there's no need for marriage. Marriage was developed to deal with the consequences of procreation and the relationship to society. That's why. Now, clearly, homosexuals cannot procreate with each other, both in principle and in fact. Now, because they'll always haul out this hoary old argument, for instance about, well, what about aged couples, really elderly couples, a man who's impotent, a woman who's infertile, um, blah, blah, see, they'll do this stuff. See, this is a little clever thing, because they, they, they count on most of us we have been educated in public school by Marxist professors and Marxist teachers and liberals and progressives. That's what they count on. So, see, you can't really make a principled counter to that sort of thing. But, see, I can. Let me, whoa, Sarge, Sarge, raise his hand, got both hands up. Sarge can make a principled counter to that argument from liberals and progressives, and this is it. Okay, fine. Uh, um, compare marriage to an apple. Say you got a nice, healthy, fresh apple, lots of seeds in it. It's in really good shape, luscious to eat, and all that stuff. But then you got another apple. This apple has a worm in it. It's not quite as good as the apple. It's really healthy and fresh, and got seeds in it, and all that other stuff. Really, you know, really ripe fruit, perfect, you know. You got uh, an apple with a worm in it, and you got the good apple. Now, just because the apple has a worm in it, maybe a little bit defective, doesn't mean it's not an apple. But the concept, in, in so far as relating this to homos, say a marriage, heterosexual marriage is a good, fresh apple in its perfect sense, and say uh, a 90-year-old couple, man and woman marrying each other, one's long beyond menopause, the guy's impotent, can't get it up, you know, he's got prostate cancer and all this other stuff. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it is still possible, possible in principle for that 90-year-old couple to procreate. Now, I didn't say in fact, because in fact it's not possible. But in principle, it is. But in it is both, in, again, impossible in principle and in fact impossible for a homosexual couple to procreate. And we make law... From principle, we make law from abstract principle. We don't make law to cover every partic every single particular. That's not possible. We make law from principle, and we work outward from there. So heterosexual marriage, in principle, to make sense and be rational, must always involve a man and a woman. A pagan like Aristotle could have understood that argument. It had nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing. Nothing. But, you know, we, we, we are told by the culture, see, because after all, we all know that many people swallow this notion, you know, this, this jive, you know, about uh, we got a secular government here, 
and there's a separation, a quote, separation of church and state, which they lifted in whole cloth from uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist. It has no constitutional application whatsoever, and he didn't mean it the way he said it, the way they say it in, his, in, 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 in their discussion. But nonetheless, they, they, they hewed this notion of separation of church and state, and I just made an argument that didn't have anything to do with religion. But the religious argument is important. It's not unimportant. When you combine the religious arguments, and I know all of you know what they are. I don't really need to go over them in great detail. But if you combine the religious arguments with the secular, uh, logical, uh, syllogistic argument I just made, you can't lose. The problem is we got all these people who claim to be uh, conservatives and speak for conservatives and claim to be upholding conservative principles who are afraid to make the arguments that need to be made. They're terrorists, scared to death. They're scared to death. Somebody's going to call them a bigot. They're scared to death. Someone's going to call them uh, 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 homophobic. Whatever the hell that means. What the hell does mean? I ain't scared of no homosexuals. I got homosexuals with friends who I enjoy their company very much in debate. I enjoy their company debating with them and discussing things with them. Some of them are really conservative except for the fact they're homosexuals. I mean, they're fine. I'm not scared of homosexuals. One thing I do really, uh, I do fear the implementation of the homosexual activist agenda. Now, that I'm afraid of, just I'm afraid of most every aspect of progressivism, liberalism, and radicalism, and cultural Marxism generally. So, yes, I am afraid of the homosexual activist agenda being enacted, and I am trying to prevent it from being so. So now, well, one thing that the Religious Freedom Restoration Acts in the various states will go a long way of doing is, in fact, restoring people's religious freedoms to object to being part and parcel of the homosexual activist agenda. Most people will not be forced to participate against, against their religious belief system. Now, I know you're going to hear this. I know what we're going to hear is is that um, uh, people are going to be free to be discriminated against and be bigoted against homosexuals. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they aren't. Maybe people just hate homosexuals just because they are homosexual. Maybe. Maybe they do. I don't know. I suppose it might happen. But I can guarantee you. See, as it happens with all things, if someone won't give them a good or service, somebody else will see the economic opportunity and will spring up to fill that gap. And the homosexual then will be able to go to that person and get it. And then the person who won't serve the homosexual, the person who won't give them the T-shirt, the person who won't make the wedding cake for them, the person who won't make a floral arrangement for them will lose their business. Free market economics. Boy, it's great. But see, Marxists never did like free market economics anyway. They do love dictatorships. They love people being dictated, uh, dictated to and told what they must believe and how they must conform. So they don't seem to get this part. That if you leave things alone, you leave things to the free market, you leave things to people's individual free will, you leave it generally to that, they'll pretty much do the right thing. And by the way, I am not for arbitrary discrimination against someone simply for the fact they are homosexual. I'm really not. I think the armed forces, however, should have been free to leave within, uh, uh, within the Uniform Code of Military Justice, prescriptions against homosexuals being in the armed forces. I think it worked very well. There were homosexuals who served their country honorably and well, even to the point of giving their lives and becoming highly decorated and so forth, but they just had to keep it sacred. They couldn't tell anybody about it who would go and tell the authorities anyway. And I don't think that's such a bad thing because not everyone has a right to be in the armed forces. It's that simple. If you don't meet the qualifications to be in the armed forces, you can't be in there. You don't have a civil right to be a member of the armed forces. Never has been. Never will be. Or, well, it never should be because the day we make being in the armed forces a civil right, we're really going to be in trouble. You meet the qualifications or you can't be in there. It's just that simple. And yes, the qualifications change from time to time, but that's the way it is. But see, Marxists don't care about any of that. They really don't. They don't care about objective truth and principles and regulations and laws. They want what they want. Like I said, they are like children. They are loud. They are brash. They are impatient. they got to have their way. But in this respect, they're really quite mature and quite patient. They believe in the long march through the institutions. They will not wait. They do not wait. I mean, not they do not wait. They, 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 are, they are willing to bide their time for as long as it takes to get things changed. We're not getting any of the stuff repealed, we conservatives. At best, we're fighting a holding action. They are, in fact, winning. 
And we better realize that as we as we may celebrate a little setback, progressive activist agenda here and there. As we celebrate the setback, we better realize that's all it is. It's just a temporary setback. These people are proceeding, as I said, at warp speed. They are not being significantly deterred. Every time I, and even Mike Pence is a good guy. I think Mike Pence would be a fine president's candidate. But even now I hear a hint of apologizing um, uh, from the guy as he talks about revisions to the law. He's got to revise because he doesn't want anybody to think he's big because he wants to run for president. I don't know. I guess he's going to lose the homosexual activist vote. I suppose he probably would. And I suppose he's probably afraid of losing all the liberals and progressives that support him. And he might lose a significant amount of them. But I guarantee you, if he'd stop being scared and learn how to defend conservatism in a principled basis, he wouldn't lose much of anything at all. And in fact, in the aggregate, he'd probably gain a lot of ground. That's what these people don't seem to understand. The Republican Party has been losing lately in the presidential run with moderates. John McCain, moderate. Mitt Romney, moderate. George W. Bush ran as a religious conservative. Whether or not you might think he was, no, he wasn't. George H.W. Bush, he was running on the films of the Reagan administration. And Reagan, as far as a mainstream politician goes, was a genuine conservative. So if you want to go back that far, you look at what's winning nationally, it is principled conservatism. We need to have people who can come out and defend conservatism in a principled, forthright, unapologetic manner. You don't have to be offensive. Now, I guarantee you, your op- our opposition will paint you as offensive simply because you are principled and able to present your argument effectively. They will call you names, as this is what they do. This, they will call you names. They will, they, they, they will um, um, uh, try to ostracize you and exile you from the, uh, 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 from the manner of, of conservative thought. You will be a, a villain par excellence up there with, uh, oh, I don't know, Adolf Eichmann or um, Reinhard Heydrich. But nonetheless, nonetheless, that won't work. If you are truly able to be charismatic and principled and able to articulate your views in a principled manner, you can't lose. You can't lose. What we've got to look at now, and this is what we better start considering here, folks. We better start considering um, uh, uh, where you want to be on on which battle line and what side you want to be on. Because on, this is a cultural war that's going on here. Make no mistake about it. It is literally a war for our culture and our civilization with these people. There is no ground on which they are attempting to reach that will not affect our children and our posterity um, for generations to come, and not in a good way, if we allow them to succeed. I mean, after witnessing what was going on with Mike Brown, I really got the impression, Mike Brown and Trayvon Martin and all the other foolishness that we're hearing now, I really got the impression that the racial industrial complex, for example, wants to create, make killing a police officer a civil right. They want to say it essentially that because of the 400 years of oppression and racism and bigotry and Arbitrary discrimination by the police and blah, 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 blah. Uh, a black man should have the right to preemptively kill a cop because he might do something wrong to him. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. When you And I think they want to enact it eventually in the Thug, uh, the uh, Endangered Thug Species Act of 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Just wait. We let this stuff keep going the way it's going. It's coming. After all, had you said that homosexual marriage would become a reality in some form or another in most of the states of the Union 20 or 30 years ago, people would have looked at you like you are insane. Literally. Are you kidding? Stop being so alarmist. That'll never happen. Not in a country that's Christian like the United States. Well, lo and behold, look where we are today. And then let's say again, is it really so far-fetched? Is it really so crazy? Is it really so impossible? I don't think so. I think it may be very likely. So, uh, again, folks, um, does anybody out there agree, disagree, have something to say about it, um, thinks it's irrelevant, thinks it's merely a red herring, thinks it's merely something for the conservatives just throwing out there because 
Uh, they won't look at it more important things like the budget or something like that. You know, I mean, I'm serious. Because these are, these, are, these are often the responses I hear when uh, we conservatives raise these issues. We are told that, oh, they're more important things to do. It's kind of like, you know, people telling me now, whenever I bring up the issue of Barack Obama being possibly an enemy alien usurper. Oh, we got more important things to worry about than that. Nah. You know, we got the budget. Uh, we got runaway spending. Uh, we got taxes. More important to worry about than whether or not President of the United States usurped the executive the federal government and, in fact, is enabling enemies of the United States to succeed in their endeavors. Now, more important is taxes. That's right. So, there you go. So anyway, um, but that, that's 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 uh, I digress. I am speaking again, and as I said, mainly here I've been speaking of what's been happening with homosexuality. I, I've watched. Uh, I'm old enough to have seen the early uprising when it really got underway. The, the Stonewall Revolt, it was called, in New York City, and back then they actually kind of had a beef because they were being rousted by the New York City Police Department for being homosexual. They'd come into bars, they make raids on them. People were involved in consensual sexual activity. It was uh, the laws. Uh, the laws of New York uh, specifically had forbade uh, sodomite activity, particularly amongst men and women, between men and women. And uh, they were rousting them, and they did have a beef that they were being rousted. But look what it metamorphosed. It was the hook. It was the key to get to where we are now. They began to paint it as a civil rights movement. As I said, they're trying to run off of the fumes of Selma. That's literally what they're trying to do. They're trying to uh, uh, paint the um, uh, uh, – I think they really have a sort of uh, uh, – uh, they want government benefits, Social Security, your tax dollars to be used on their behalf. But mainly, I think this is the main impetus to all of this, and that is they want it to be considered normative and normal, just as good as and natural – as heterosexual. In fact, I think if we keep proceeding at the rate we're going now, soon children will be encouraged to become homosexual. Because after all, how are we going to know whether or not what a child's true sexuality is? I mean, that we, gender identity is arbitrarily assigned. We've actually got people now. This is a nascent in the womb movement. But you know, you know, activists, liberals, rather what becomes is a little acorn today. Becomes a mighty acorn, make, becomes a mighty oak in a year, two, five, or ten. Right now, they're saying no one truly knows what their sexual identity is, and it's simply unfair to assign a sexual identity to somebody at birth. Put it on their birth certificate. You can't do that. That's unfair. We've actually got people in the lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgendered, however, whatever sequence or order they put that shit in. They're actually saying it is unfair, arbitrary, and needs to be opposed. The putting a child's sexual identity on a birth certificate. Need to wait until they become a, 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 a legal majority so they can decide for themselves. <laughs> Folks, there is no limit to this. You think I'm kidding? You better do a little bit more research. It's here, and it's only a matter of time. All we got to do is wait a little while, and we'll get there. So all I got to say is that, um, you know, more states, by the way, Arkansas, I believe, uh, the Arkansas House just passed its own religious freedom bill, which is very similar to the measure in Indiana. And imagine, they're saying that's controversial. (laughs) Homosexual marriage, now we're not supposed to consider that controversial. But Religious Freedom Restoration Act, notice the word in there is restoring. What you already really have is one of your inalienable rights granted you by the Creator God, under the concept of Declaration of Independence. But nonetheless, that's controversial. Homosexual marriage supposedly isn't anymore. God, see? And see, when, 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 when things just happen the way this has happened, when they occur the way they occur, without any significant challenge, particularly in a matter of principle, this is what we wind up with. This is what we got. No one should be surprised, because I certainly aren't. I am not. And homosexual activists does not want to be left alone. They demand public affirmation that what most people see at the very least as sexually deviant is acceptable. I think that they know most people believe what they do is deviant and wrong, and that knowledge that most people have it 
and believe it makes them miserable. But if they get all of us to celebrate their homosexuality with them, they'll feel better about themselves. They'll have more self-esteem, as well as the activists now. Because not all activists in homosexual are homosexuals. There's a lot of heterosexuals in a homosexual activist movement, too. They just want to subvert marriage. Because marriage is one of the major institutions preventing the more institution and more establishment of government in our eye, in our lives. Because marriage is one of the bulwarks against more government. One reason you got so much government in the black community is because the two-parent black family has been all but destroyed. So what steps in to take its place? Government. What does government get to do? Dictate to you how you will behave, what rules and laws you must follow. And all progressives, liberals, and socialists are about bigger government because that is the way their agenda can be enacted. Marriage has got to go. Marriage is in the way. Marriage is an obstacle. Now, I know I've been rather pedantic tonight. And I know I've been rather, um, dare I say it, dictatorial in what I'm saying tonight. But then y'all want to call in and talk about it. So I had to, you know, tell you my thoughts about it. But look, you are free to call in to discuss. The number's right there in the chat room, right above my uh, my uh, pictures there. So y'all can see, well, you got a face to put on the, the man you're going to like to hate so much. A lot of you anyway. The guy you want to hate, there are my pictures right there. So you can take a look at him. And you can then feel free to decide, um, uh, you know, uh, I hate this guy. I'm going to call in and tell him uh, what a fool he is and how full of it he is. Boom. That's what I like to hear. I don't need agreement, folks. I need clarity. I prefer clarity over agreement. As long as you can state your case well, even if you hate me, call in and state your case. I'd love to hear it. I love the debate. I don't need agreement. All I need is clarity. That's all I ask for me is clarity. So, uh, we're winding down to the end of the show. Uh, remember, this is the C. Robert Jones situation board, not the Sarge situation board. C. Robert Jones, is, I'm just standing in for a great patriot, a great American, and a great former Marine, C. Robert Jones. And I'll be back same time, same bat channel tomorrow. Don't know what I'll be talking about. I'll find out whatever's in the news, and that's what we're going to be discussing. But in the meantime, in between time, I'd like to send you out uh, once again, with, uh, uh, you know, the theme that brought the show on, because I just love listening to these liberals expose themselves. I don't think there's anything greater than to hear liberals exposing themselves and what they're really all about. So listen up. Enjoy. We cannot continue to rely only on our military in order to achieve the national security objectives that we've set. We've got to have a civilian national security force that's just as powerful, just as strong, just as well-funded. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits. And guess what this liberal would be all about? This liberal will be all about socializing, uh, um, would be about Basically, taking over and the government running all of your companies. Uh, to that extent, as radical as I think people try to characterize the Warren Court, uh, it wasn't that radical. It, it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the founding fathers in the Constitution. And one of the, uh, I think, uh, the tragedies of the civil rights movement, uh, I think that there was a tendency to lose track of the political and community organizing and, and activities on the ground that are able to put together the actual coalitions of power through which you bring about redistributive uh, change. They've got a chance to success too. I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for it. I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. Uh, you know, we we become responsible then for administrating you know, 250 million people. I ask, well, what is going to happen to those people that we can't re-educate, that are die-hard cap capitalists? And the reply was that they'd have to be eliminated. And when I pursued this further, they estimated that they would have to eliminate 25 million people in these re-education centers. 
And when I say eliminate, I mean kill 25 million people. I want you to imagine sitting in a room with 25 people, most of which have graduate degrees from Columbia and other well-known educational centers, and hear them figuring out the logistics for the elimination of 25 million people. And they were dead serious.